Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, what does it mean to live as a Christian? Just a question for you to think about as we get started. What does it mean to live as a Christian? What does that mean in your mind when you think, okay, if I'm a Christian and I want to live like a Christian, what does that mean? How does that show up uh, on Monday morning, so to speak? A couple of things that you might be thinking about, I don't know. Does that mean you don't sin anymore? Maybe to live as a Christian meaning you don't sin anymore. Maybe it means you sin less than than when you weren't a Christian or then... Uh, so you say, well, I, I don't think I can live without sin, uh, but uh, I certainly sin less. Or maybe it means it's not a quantity question, it's a quality question. I certainly still sin, uh, but I don't sin in the same ways I used to. The sin I used to do uh, was fun, and now I sin and it's dull. I don't know. You know however, I, I sin, but I sin differently than I used to. What does it mean to live as a Christian? Maybe it means it changes or alters your behavior. Uh, maybe it changes how you entertain yourself. As well, if you live as a Christian, it uh, used to be that you don't watch movies. Now, if you live as a Christian, you watch movies. Uh, but you watch different ones, maybe? You say, well, Christians don't watch certain movies. Uh, Christians only alert, listen to Christian music or Christian radio. Maybe it changes the, you think anyway, that changes the people you spend time with. I used to spend time with people who were fun and interesting and well-informed. Now I spend my time with Christians. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking hypothetically. I don't know where you're going with this, so I don't. Uh, it changes relationships. It changes the way you handle uh, yourself uh, at social functions with family or work. It used to be that you could swear with the best of them at work, but now you only swear at home. And... Maybe it changes, or maybe what does it mean to live as a Christian? It, it has an effect on your politics. Christians vote a certain way. Christians support a certain candidate. Well, this passage, in fact, tells us exactly what it means to be as a Christian. Of course, you know the answer. It's none of these things. To live as a Christian is to understand the power of the gospel and the power of God to save sinners from their sin and allow us to live saved. So the power of the gospel to overcome sin in our life and the power to live as one who is saved. So really the, the, the answer is what does it mean to live as a Christian? It is to have life in the gospel. To live as a Christian is to have life in the gospel. What's the gospel? It is not complicated. God created, we messed it up, He sends Jesus, if you believe, you get saved. Did you get it? God created, 
we messed it up. And by we, we, I mostly mean you. He sends Jesus to save us from our mess up. If we believe, we receive salvation. The gospel is very, very simple. The gospel is good news for sinners. And to live as a Christian is to live in the gospel, which means each and every day I'm reminding myself again, good news, Jesus saved sinners like me. What does it mean to be a saved sinner in a fallen world? Well, that's what it means to have life in the gospel. And this passage we're looking at today describes in some detail life in the gospel. Look at verses 1 through 4, Philippians chapter 2. Life in the gospel is a life of humility. Life in the gospel is a life of humility. Verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Life in the gospel is a life of humility, of seeking in humble ways to put others first, to consider others more important, and not to pursue life merely on my terms. One uh, famous uh, inspirational writer uh, said this, You can have everything you want, if you help enough people get what they want. You can have everything you want if you help enough people to get what they want. And this is an important way of thinking. It's terribly American, and certainly there isn't anything wrong with it. But the point is this. You will have a profitable business if you will offer something to somebody that they want and they're willing to pay for it. And it becomes then not merely an American way of viewing business. It becomes an American way of life, which says, I can have everything I want, when I help you get everything you want by paying me to get everything you want. And somehow we can twist that way of thinking into thinking we're serving people by selling them stuff. That is not a gospel way of thinking. A gospel way of thinking is saying, you are important. In fact, you are more important than I am, and I will serve you out of gospel humility, which is how do I make sure you get what you need and you want in spite of the fact that it might cost me everything. The gospel says it this way, not help others get what they want so I can receive a profit. The gospel says, help others because they matter more. I'm giving you a chance to argue with me in your head. Help others because they matter more. In fact, the gospel says this, of my view to others and your view of others in the gospel says, they have higher value. That's the viewpoint. doesn't mean one person is worth more than another. A gospel viewpoint looks at the other and says, you are more important than me. Humility then begins with Christ. Look at verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection, any sympathy. Do we get any of those things from Jesus? Is there any comfort in His grace? Just a little. Is there any love from God? 
Yeah, look at the cross. I think he loves us. Is there any participation in his spirit? To be in Christ is to have his spirit. So the answer is yes. Is there any loving affection from God to us? Of course there is. We experience the blessings of God day in and day out. Is there any sympathy on God's behalf towards us? Since we have received all these things, Paul says, look at the beginning of verse 2, make my joy complete by being of one mind, of one spirit, and do nothing out of selfish ambition. He's saying, since Christ has done all these things, then therefore you can do all of those same things for others. Do nothing out of ambition, but do everything out of humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. Humility begins with understanding Jesus, that he served us and we didn't deserve it. Another way an author has put it this way, you did not receive salvation from Christ because he saw your amazing potential. You received salvation from Christ in, 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 uh, despite your lack of potential. The only potential you have is because Christ affords it to you through his grace. When we see how much Christ has given us that we don't deserve, we gladly then give to others and uh, in behalf of them saying, you are worth more than me. You are more significant than me. You are more important than me. Humility begins with Jesus. I might say it this way. When we are proud and think we are better than others, which is all the time, don't act like that's not you. When we are proud and better than others, it is merely an indicator we don't understand what Christ did for us. That's all it is. When I look at someone else and can't figure out what their problem is, why can't they be more like the amazing me? That is simply an acknowledgement I have no idea what Jesus did for me. And that should be a moment, not to correct their behavior, but to, in fact, repent of my arrogant heart. Humility begins with Jesus, and we discover in this humility that the goal of your salvation is not you. The point of your salvation is not you. Now, I can tell some of you are bothered by that. Jesus didn't save you merely for your benefit. I don't even know if I'd put that in the top five. Are you ready? What's the first reason Jesus saved you? To show off. He is God. He is amazing. He can save sinners as bad as us. Can you believe it? The primary reason Jesus saved sinners as bad as you and me was to show how awesome he is at saving the worst of sinners. Is he good at it? Oh, yes, he's really good at it. Look at you. You're doing great. And can you imagine what your life would be at like without Christ? We're all imagining what your life would be like without Christ, and we can't believe he saved you. No, he's showing off. Ephesians chapter 1, you can go and read it. He is showing to the eternal ages, watch this, I can save that guy. The second reason Jesus saved you, well, it's got to be my benefit. It's got to be to save me from hell. It's got to get, no, it's not even you. He saves you that you might humbly serve someone else. Look what it says. If there's any affection and love and spirit and sympathy from Christ, be glad and go to worship service until I return. No, he says, then humbly serve others. 
The second reason he saves you, not for your benefit, although you benefit, is to serve others. Is to humbly serve others in Christ. We might even say this, since he talks about this throughout the book of Philippians, look what he says in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Humble service in Christ to others is our primary source of joy in the Christian life. Humble service to others, that is the gospel of Christ working in my life to such a degree that I give up on my own agenda and serve someone else's agenda is the primary means of joy in the Christian life. That is upside down from our normal view of happiness. Normally in life, I am happy when everything goes the way I want it to go. In the gospel life, the life lived in the gospel, a life of humility, joy is derived not by getting it my way, joy is derived by seeing you get it your way. And that primary source of joy is when we're able to experience serving others in humility and observe others serving others in humility. Some of you don't believe me. Fine, just try it. See how it goes. Try humbly serving others and see if you don't experience joy. If you don't experience joy, that's fine. This part of the sermon is written by Todd, and so you can talk to him about it. John 13. It's up on the screen. John 13. Beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read read 13. Jesus says this, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. So I am. This is right after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet the night he was betrayed. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Foot washing was a terrible task in that uh, culture, in that culture of shame and honor. Uh, You would never wash somebody's feet because it would detract from your honor. Uh, Even your lowest servant uh, would not necessarily do the foot washing. It's the lowest servant that you don't like would do the foot washing. And it was the most low, the most uh, shameful, the most humiliating task in any given household. To wash feet, Jesus put the towel around his waist, would wash their feet and dry their feet with the towel, meaning he had to become naked in the act of humiliating himself in washing their feet. Not only that, when you're eating dinner together, you're sitting around the table laying down on your left arm usually, eating off the table this way, normally you would be so disregarding of the foot washer because of even your posture, can't even see them. You would have to move yourself into a a funny posture to be able to pay attention to the foot washer. Here is Jesus, Lord of the universe, casually disregarded, naked while drying their feet. Of course, Peter can't stand it. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. If your Lord will humbly wash your feet. Then therefore, if you want to be like your Lord, humbly wash others' feet. Look what he says in verse 15. I, For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Life in the gospel is a life of humility. Do just as he did for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor... 
Now he lost it. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. Humility is a choice. It's when we consider others greater than ourselves who otherwise might seem lower. I don't know how you judge people. It might be on their behavior. It might be on how they interact with others. It might be on their employability. It might be on the way their children act. It might be on how they dress, how they act, the amount of money they have, the car they have, how they care for their yard. And you think I'm being silly. You're driving home. You're going to go home today, aren't you? There's that one house. You know, what? I mean, what? It was sunny all day yesterday. You came on along? I mean, how hard is it? How is it? Some of you humbly served your neighbor by mowing their lawn, but it was humble service of sending a message. Gee, it's ain't hard. I got it down to, to square one. Now keep it that way. You might even have hung a note on their door. Humbly yours. Now keep your lawn mowed. I don't, so I don't know how you look at others and decide where they rank. If you, and, and if you tell me you don't do this, I don't, you're, you're just a liar. Everybody does this. And the Bible acknowledges it. And what it's saying is, since you do that, consider. Meaning, I know what I'm doing here. That person is lower than me on the scale. I know the scale, and they're lower than me. I will allow the gospel to reinform my heart and say, no, they are not. Their way should be the way it is. And you say, but that person's an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. The Bible provides no qualification to serving the others. Simply humble yourself and say, I'm going to let them have it their way. If this were applied to our hearts, husbands and wives, 95% of our arguments go away. And, and I know what you're doing. I, I've been there before. You are praying your spouse gets this. Please let them finally get it. That You've missed the point. The point is to do this, to humbly say their way is the way, even though that's not the way I would do it. I'm going to do it that way. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He washed their feet in complete humiliation. Here's what life in the gospel, life of humility means. Jesus, see, humility is this. Are you ready? Write this down. Doing stuff that is below you for people who are below you. Jesus, see, humility. Life in the gospel. Doing stuff that is below you for people who are below you recognizing in the gospel they aren't. But that's what Jesus' humility is. Look at verses 5 through 8. Life in the gospel is a life imitating Jesus. Okay, just because we may not get done by noon does not mean you're a persecuted Christian. I just got you. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you that one. But I'm going to do my best to to finish up on time. Life in the gospel is a life of imitating Jesus. Have this mind among you that was in Jesus, that even though he was in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So here's the thing. Jesus is God. He has always been God. He has always will be God. And he said, even though uh, I am God and could retain my glory and power and majesty and might, I will set aside and humiliate myself to live a life as a person as a human, I should say, and humble myself uh, to serve sinners. So the question here as we look at imitating Christ is not, what would Jesus do? The question is, what is Jesus like? What is Jesus like? Jesus' behavior here is not the emphasis, 
what's emphasized in Jesus' humiliation, being willing to leave glory, to humiliate himself to become human, and to even die on a cross, is his attitude. His attitude is one of willing humiliation to serve others. Pay attention to this. If you drive by someone's house, and it's a broken down house, and they are... Uh, don't have a lot of resources, and they're out raking their leaves. Your assumption is they need to rake their leaves because they can't hire a service to do it or their kids won't do it or something. I don't know, but you see them raking their leaves. However, if you drive by the house of the richest person in the world, uh, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or something like this, and, and you notice Bill Gates out in front raking his leaves, what's your assumption? He must like raking leaves because there's no other reason this dude would be out raking his leaves. Now, I don't know if Bill Gates is into raking leaves or not. Just an example, okay? I don't want you to go home and Google it. Does Bill Gates rake his leaves? It's not the point. If a guy has everything and he's doing something which seems menial, it means he wants to do that thing. So if you are God enthroned on high for all of eternity and you leave heaven to humiliate yourself on a cross, what does that mean? It means you want to. It means that's what kind of person you are is you are a person willing to be humiliated to serve others. We must be careful with our theology. Jesus was not painted into a corner where the only way to fix what he made was to leave heaven like he was stewing and, oh, what am I going to do? I guess i got to go help him. That wasn't it. This is him doing exactly what he wants to do. Humble himself to serve us on a cross. And all he's saying is life in the gospel is imitating Jesus. Not merely what would he do, but what is he like? He is the kind of a human who says, I can't wait to serve people below me in ways that are below me. And then we as Christians, we say, what is Jesus like? And how do I assess the condition of my heart? Am I motivated to serve people that I might consider below me in ways that are below me because that's what my Savior is into. So the question is not, what am I doing? It is, is my heart like Jesus' heart? What is Jesus like? He gladly loses everything for those who can't repay him and those who don't get it. He gladly gives up glory and honor for those who can't repay him and for those who don't get it. And so the command here is have this mind in you, which is Christ Jesus. The command. What's the command? Read it again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Have this mind in you. Now, most Christians are like this. I would rather have a command which tells me what to do, not what I think and not what I feel. And that's precisely what it's doing here. It's taking from you the opportunity to behave your way out of it. It is asking you not to figure out how well behaved you are. It's asking you to think about your attitude. Have this mind in you, this perspective in you, this viewpoint in you that was in Christ Jesus who didn't think he had to hold on to his glory and his stature and his power and his might. The command here is to think like Jesus, be motivated like Jesus, to have a heart like Jesus where we gladly do for others who can't repay us and do for others who don't get it. They don't understand how amazing we are for them. That is the command to us. Just a quick question on this, and then we're going to move on to the last section. If our mind is like Christ, where we gladly do for others who don't deserve it, 
We gladly do for others what they don't understand. We gladly serve others who are below us. What place is there in the life of a person like that for resentment? If we have the mind of Christ and we're serving others who are below us in ways that are below us, where is there room for resentment? Think of the people you have served and they didn't get it and it irritated you to no end. Is it just me? It's going to be awkward if it's just me. That's not Christ's mind. His mind is to just simply serve. And the honor comes from being in Christ. So life in the gospel is a life of humility. Life in the gospel is a life of imitating Jesus. And finally, a life in the gospel is a life that anticipates glory. Look at verses 9, 10, 11. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. Jesus died, was in the grave, he rose from the dead, and now he is glorified. And one day, the next time he comes back, no mistake in it, it's on. And he has been lifted up. And so a life in the gospel anticipates a life of glory with Christ. When the, the team wins the Super Bowl, they give each team 150 Super Bowl rings. Each team gets 150 Super Bowl rings. How many players on a typical NFL roster? 53. That means there's 90-some people who are going to get a Super Bowl ring that never stepped foot on a playing field. They get the same ring as the MVP, the same ring as the quarterback. Think of it. That kid handing out Gatorade. He might have gotten a Super Bowl ring, and it's the same one Tom Brady got. Now, there's a certain level of happiness in that in my heart. You're welcome. Yeah, get an amen when we throw Brady under the bus. All right. So here's the question. Whose glory do you want? If you're the Gatorade kid, do you want the glory of a great job review that you didn't spill the Gatorade? Is that what you can go home and write home about? You're going to brag about the fact that you are really good at squirting Gatorade through the face mask? Or are you going to brag about the fact that you got a Super Bowl ring and you never played a minute? Which one's better? The ring. And you didn't earn it. And that's all the Bible is saying here. Listen, you want your glory of being an awesome business owner, an awesome employee, an awesome spouse. You want your glory to be that you're really good at attending church. You want your glory to be you're really well-behaved, at least in public. You want that to be your glory. Okay, that's Gatorade boy glory. Or do you want your glory to be the same as Jesus, whose name is above every name? Which glory is better? And And the only thing the Bible is saying here is, how about this? How about you take his glory? Because in Christ, we will participate in his glory. And his glory is the better one. And life in the gospel is a life that anticipates his glory. So, since one day, we will participate with Christ in his glory. What's the problem now of doing the worst and most humiliating task there is? There is no problem. Because one day, the glory is coming. And I would rather take it there than here. And a life of the gospel is not somebody who is merely pleased with being humiliated. A life in the gospel is just someone who understands where the better glory is. And the better glory is the glory we will have with Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And this is what it says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with, with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be what? Glorified with him. Life in the gospel is a life that anticipates glory by saying any humiliation here is no problem. Because my Savior was humiliated for those who didn't deserve it, and he received a greater glory. So I can humble myself here, serve those who don't deserve it, serve those who don't get it, serve in ways that are humiliating, because one day I will participate in his glory. And I'll take my glory there, thank you. Life in the gospel is a life that anticipates glory. Martyrs die for a cause. What we're describing here is not martyrdom. This is just wisdom. Martyrs say, I need to suffer to make something happen. This is children of God saying, I want to suffer because that's what Jesus did. And I'll take my glory where the glory is great. Choose a better glory. Life in the gospel is a life of humility. It's a life of imitating Jesus. And it's a life that anticipates glory. A couple of questions here and we'll close with this. Is your life going to be about Christ or not? Simple question. Is your life going to be about Christ or not? If your life is going to be about Christ, then you must serve others who are below you in ways that are below you. I don't know what you defined as what it means to live for Jesus, but the passage we're in today especially communicates quite clearly to live Christ's life is to serve others who don't deserve it in ways that are way below my station. To live a life of Christ is to realize I'm probably overestimating my station. Is your life about Christ? If your life is about Christ, it will be about humbly serving others. One last verse to look at, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. A life in the gospel is a life that is cross-shaped. Taking up the cross every day. A life of waking up, feet hitting the ground, and saying the people in my home, the people at my work, the people in my school, the people in my neighborhood, they outrank me. Because I'm the one carrying the cross. The life of Christ is a cross-shaped life where our priorities, our goals, and our hopes are all focused on His glory, not our own. Finally this. One pastor up in Portland says this. I think it's a great quote. One of the greatest offenses of grace is how much others are getting. One of the greatest offenses of grace is how much others are getting. You say, well, that's not offensive. No, 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 it is. Think about it. Think about that one person who's got that one sin they're struggling with. You know that one that you think is really terrible? And the reason it's so irritating to you is their life is going sizzle. And everything you touch turns to gold. Great kids, great car, great job. 
and they got this thing that drives you, makes you nuts. Isn't it? And so there it is. There it is. The offense of grace is how much others are getting. So listen, you want me to serve that guy? He won't even, he's not even trying to get his act together. So God, you're going to bless his socks off in spite of the fact that he's struggling with sin that I think is really bad. Now on top of that, now you've had this conversation with God maybe. Now you want me to serve that guy? Listen, bro, you can do what you want to help him out. Don't ask me to be a part of your game. And the Bible says, really? You, you don't want to show grace to a sinner? Well, yeah, because I think you've gotten too much already. I think I need the grace. The cross-shaped life says, how can I frivolously give away the love and grace of Christ? How can I haphazardly show love and grace to others who don't deserve it? Because I don't need anything back. Because I'm going to take my glory somewhere else. Life in the gospel is a life of humility, a life imitating Jesus, and a life that anticipates 